Hi everybody, my name's Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Morning, everybody. Good morning. Yeah, awesome. Hey, I'm going to have an open book test. I'm seeing college students come back. They've just come out of finals, so I'll keep it real simple. I'll put a word on the screen, and this is your answer, okay? So, the primary thing that God wants from his children is? Okay, let's try it again. Open book test. The primary thing God wants from his children is? Yeah, where do I get that? In the Bible. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without... It's impossible to please God, okay? And that verse is really important to me. Like every step that we make, God loves faith. God applauds faith. So there are primary steps of faith God wants us to take. The first step of faith God wants every human being to take is to trust that his son Jesus is the exclusive savior of the whole world and put our faith in him. That's how you become a child of God. And that's why we're having five Christmas Eve services. That's why in every screen in Redwood City, before every movie, all Christmas season long, there's a Christmas commercial about PCC's Christmas services. That's why we're renting a petting zoo to make it as easy as possible on that Christmas Eve for you to bring your friends and yada, yada, yada. Because we believe Jesus is for everyone. That's the first step of faith. After you take that step of faith, the next step that God invites you into, his children into, is to trust him him every day to provide for your needs, to trust him to provide relationally, to trust him to provide wisdom, to trust him to provide financially uh, throughout your day. That's the second step that God invites every person into. Jesus gave his most famous sermon ever called the Sermon on the Mount, and it was all about that second step of faith. Trust me, put me first, and trust me in everything. Then the Apostle Paul was writing about this to a church like ours in Corinth, and he was talking about giving, and he puts this verse in the middle of his giving plea. Look at it, First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. He said this, God is able. By the way, this is one of my most favorite verses for those first four words, that I can trust God as a dad, as a husband, as a citizen uh, throughout my day. I've taken this verse to every mission trip, where we've stepped out in faith and said, God is able. What's he able to do? God is able to bless abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all we need, we will abound in every good work. Now, the Gary Gadini translation of the New Testament, which will never be published, but here's how I would translate that verse. Listen to this. This is my paraphrase of 2 Corinthians 9.8. God says, I'll provide everything you need in life even more than you need, get this, so you can startle the world with your generosity by demonstrating my heart to my children. That's the whole reason we exist, to allow Jesus to show up. That's the whole story of Christmas in unexpected ways. It's what we pray for you Monday to Saturday, that you so vividly trust Christ with your life that people would peel back the layers in their workaday world, whatever you do, if you're a student, if you're a professional, if you're a homemaker, whatever you do, they would go, wait wait, wait a second, Jesus is behind that? (laughs) I never expected that. That's the whole point. 
that people discover Jesus in an unexpected way. That's our story. So what God is saying is, trust me with everything. You can trust me. Most of his children who put their faith in Jesus are trusting him for our salvation, right? At death's bed, that he would take the most important and biggest thing of our life, our biggest enemy, death, and save us. God says, if I can do that, trust me every day and put me first. Now, when I was uh, a teenager, I didn't know any of this. And someone uh, allowed Jesus to show up in unexpected ways for me. And I put my faith in Christ, that first step of faith, that he is the exclusive Savior for the whole world. And then someone sat down with me and taught me how to grow in Christ. And they painted a picture of two types of groups that I've never forgotten and that 35 years later serves me well. I had no idea when I was 18 and I first heard this how important this would be for my life down through the decades. They said, basically, when it comes to your giving, God wants to invite you into this adventure of putting him first. They said, let me tell you about two types of groups. I remember where I was at the Harvard of the West, Sacramento State University, and uh, this whole thing was laid out. He said, here's group one. And he painted, this was a, a drawing, but I put it on, on keynote for you. He said, you know, you have a destination. I was a business major. He said, basically, you want some things out of life. You want safety. You want security, whatever that means, retirement, or little did I know I have five girls, five weddings, all that kind of thing. Um, you, want, uh, you want stuff, whatever your stuff is. Everyone's got a destination, he said. And the world believes you've got to work 100%, invest 100% of what you make to get to your destination. And if you can't do the math, maybe you get a side hustle on and work extra hard, but it's 100% on you. And he was talking about giving, and I'm like, giving's crazy. Are you kidding me? Like, even at Sac State, I could do this math. Like, one plus one is two. Two minus one is one. If I give away some of what I earn, how is that going to get me to my destination? And he said, oh, well, here's where, point, here's where group two comes in. And he painted a picture like this, group two. He said, you know, group two still has the same destination. Like they want to get somewhere. It's, it's probably, they probably redefine these things differently because Jesus takes over your life. And you're going to redefine significance and stuff and the value of stuff and safety and security and all of that. But group two people believe, they just don't believe they have to invest 100% between A and B. They believe if they put God first, they can give a first portion to God and they'll get to that destination. Now, let me just step out of that and tell you that this church, Brian told you, is 70 years old. We are resting on the shoulders of group two people. I think I've told you the story before, but 40 years ago, when this building was being built, the community center wasn't a community center then, it was just a swim and tennis club, went bankrupt. And someone had the idea of saying, you know what, that's going to cost a million dollars in 1975. It's a lot of money even back then, let alone now. And they said, you know what, we need some group two people to dig a little deeper because we believe God would want us to repurpose that thing to reach people who'd never set foot in the, in the traditional church. You know what happened? Some people took out second mortgages. Some people dug past the 90% number and dug deeper and deeper. Some of you are the kids of those people. Most of those people are in heaven. Fast forward 30 years. 
Now we're in 2008, and the country is in a recession. And locally, the schools cut PE because of the recession. Someone had the idea, well, we're in the sports business. What if we went to the city? Have we built enough credibility through Kennedy School cleanups and all these cleanups to come to the city and say, would you trust us to be your PE provider? But it's going to take about $40,000. And we went to some group two people to take a step of faith to walk into the city to provide PE on just two Redwood City campuses. And the schools trusted us. Fast forward 10 years, we're on 12 Redwood City campuses five days a week, showing up in unexpected ways, the Jesus people, in unexpected places as our schools are in a crisis, closing down schools, and everyone's hurt with the decision that was made two weeks ago. The board is hurt. Our superintendent is pained. He's a great man, believe it or not. I say believe it or not because some of the press, I hate how they paint this man. He's an amazing man. Uh, the board, teachers, parents, everyone's hurt. And the people of Jesus are there every day on these schools. Why? Because group two people made a decision 40 years ago and then 10 years ago and on and on and on the way. Okay, so here we are in 2018. And why am I bringing all this up? Because most of you, like Ann and me, uh, make heartfelt giving decisions in December. Now, we know this at the church because 25% of our salary comes in, of our salary, of our incomes comes in in December. And like Ann and me, you probably have a lot of opportunities to give. And I want to invite you to place God first in your step of faith towards your giving. And if you think I have a hidden or ulterior motive, I want to invite you to come up to me and I'll give you the names of five churches you could give to that honor Christ and will spread the name of Christ, or five missions agencies that honor Christ and will spread his name. I want something for you, the joy of knowing the adventure of giving. So I got a few questions for you uh, as we close. Here's the first. Self-select, not internally, self-select. Which group are you? Are you a group one kind of person? Or are you a group two? kind of person. And here's the deal, everybody. Each group thinks the other group is crazy. They do. Group one people look at group two people and go, you're crazy. You're crazy to think on the peninsula you could live by prioritizing God first in your finances. And there are group two people in this church that are well beyond the 90% number where they're giving uh, 20, 30, 50%, we have people in our church giving 50% of their income away. Group two people look at group one people and say, you're crazy. Why wouldn't you want to join God in his global desire to reach the world with the best message that ever, ever was brought to the world that we celebrate on Christmas? Why wouldn't you want to trust God daily in this area? So I want to invite you to pick your crazy, everybody. Everyone in the room's crazy. Turn to someone right now and go, you're crazy. Pick your crazy, everybody. And I want to thank you more than anything for, as we wrap up this year, for making it an amazing, amazing year at PCC.
So with that said, would you please put your hands together and give a round of applause for one of my favorite preachers, Carlos DeVitas. Let's give it up for Carlos. That air was uh, perfect. Oh, that was all my fault. So here's the deal. Um, we're going to talk about words today. Uh, words are important. I actually want you to turn real quick to the person next to you and tell them what your favorite word is. What's your favorite word? Take a minute, talk about it. If you don't have a favorite word, you get to choose any word right now so you can just come up with one. What's your favorite word? All right, all right. okay, that, that should take you like two seconds. Not your favorite sentence or your, okay, let me hear a couple. What are your favorite, what's your favorite word? Joy. Crispy. It's got a nice, like, chewy yet firm on the edge of sound. Crispy. What else? How about over here? Vacation. Nice. What else? Fun. Did anyone tell you a word that you're like, oh, you're showing off right now? Like, you're trying super hard. Does anyone like a word, their favorite word's really big and complicated? What's that word? What was it? Ubiquitous which means firm and available. Um, so, uh, I don't know, like what, everywhere or something? Like, yeah, like, ubiquitous. Some words just sound good rolling off the mouth. We're talking a bit about words today. We're in the story of Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus. If you're visiting today or you're not familiar with the Christmas story, you're like, the who, the what? We'll get to that. We'll look at the text. But we're talking about words, and we're going to find, um, as I entered into this day, in our Christmas series where we've talked about shepherds, we have heard on high, and, and their part in this story, and Mary, and Mary's place in this Christmas story. Today we have Joseph. Joseph, a man of no words. Just, just doesn't say anything in the text. So we're going to talk about words. I first want us to just grapple a little bit with how important they are. Let's talk about, um, let's play a little game. Let's fill in, fill in the end of this sentence. Words said by people that are repeated by us because uh, they were good. They, these words were backed up by their lives or they inspired us or they encouraged us. I'm going to start with a really easy one. You are what you eat. You are what you eat. I think it's technically true, but I've heard it a lot. You are what you eat. You've got to dance like there's nobody watching. It's actually pretty good advice. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a... I love this. I was, habit, habit. Like Aristotle talking about how virtue's built. Excellence is not an act, but a habit. You miss 100% of the shots you don't. And who said that? Yes, Michael Scott. I love it. Someone's always like, Michael Scott. And then someone else like, no, Wayne Gretzky. No, Michael Jordan. But it was Michael Scott. Okay. <laughs> that which does not kill us makes us stronger. Kanye West did not say that. He borrowed it from a philosopher thousands of years earlier. If you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. You're getting good. You must be the change you want to see in the world. Gandhi, do unto others as you wish to be done unto yeah, you yourself. Words. For some reason, we know these. You didn't know we were going to have a test today. You just came in. 
talking about them. You're like, yeah, do unto others as you do unto yourself. Oh, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Words are full of meaning. Let's take a few words. We're going to start with I. I. I'm not a linguist, but I think it might be the simplest word in the English language. It just contains one letter, yet it's weighted. I has been used to bring pain in all of our lives at some point or another. A sentence that started with I, I don't believe in you. I don't love you. I don't want to see you. Think about an I that was said into your life. Maybe even recently you go, oh yeah. You remove the I and the sentence just has less power. I is a strong word. It's heavy. It's sacred. Because sacred words touch our hearts. I. For me, I was a sixth grade teacher years ago, playing kickball with the kids. I was the best. I was also like 25 and they were 11. But (laughs) playing kickball with the kids and they said, hey, Mr. D, you're cheating. I was not cheating. And for whatever reason, I went crazy. And I was just like, you got, everybody get in line and be quiet and I'm done with you and recess is over. they, They triggered something. I didn't like that they told me I was cheating. And we're walking back, and I'm like, be quiet, walk faster. We're on, and, 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 the, and God is just like, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I stopped, and I sat all the kids down, and I said, I am sorry. These were kids who didn't hear, I am sorry, ever, from an adult. It just seemed like the right thing to say. And that I carried so much power that those kids who are now all in their mid, early to mid-30s, we found each other on Facebook, and we've been talking, and, and four of them have sent me a message saying, I remember the day you said you were sorry. I wasn't trying to like build some legacy. I was just being a jerk. And I said, I am sorry. How about you? Use three letters, a little more substance to it. You's powerful, right? How many sentences have started with you that just, ah, they hit you right here? You can't be trusted. You let me down again. You will never amount to anything. You're going to be just like your dad. You, you, you. But you's also good. I love you. I can't wait to see you. Heavy word, right? With lots of meaning. How has you been used in your life? How about this one? No. Two letters. Kind of simple. No. I was just in Yosemite with sixth graders from Kennedy Middle School for the week. And no was like the number one word in my vocabulary all week long. No, 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 no. It's like off the road. No, get back on the path. No, get back on the path. No, we can't eat the snow right now. No, we can't throw ice at each other. No, you can't climb that cliff. No, you can't jump off that cliff. No, we can't swim. No, no. I just like, no, no, no. Two words, two, two simple letters. Sorry. Eighth grade, um, Calaveras County had a, a, a tri-school dance. Uh, That meant two schools full of eighth grade girls I could dance with. My mom took me out. She bought me a suit with padded shoulders, right? Because that's what you do if you want to impress. I had padded shoulders. This suit was made out of a very special fabric, silk. 
Um, I don't know if you have a silk suit with padded silk suit with padded shoulders, but uh, if you do, I'm no judgment, but maybe consider not wearing it that much. Um, and then a bolo tie. You know the bolo? It's like two strings. You pull it up. I I was like ready to slay at this dance. I had my padded suit, my silk, my bolo tie. I show up. I'm ready to dance. The slow song comes on. Everybody's doing this. If you don't know how to dance, this is the basic middle school slow dance move. And Kelly Cathcart's across the room, and she's from Mark Twain Elementary. And I'm from Michelson Elementary. And I want to dance with Kelly. So I walk over, kind of muster up the nerve in my silk suit. It probably wasn't real silk, now that I think about how much money we had. And it was maybe rayon. It might have been a rayon suit. My mom told me it was silk, but I muster up the courage. I walk over there, and I say, uh, hi, do you want to dance? And without skipping a beat, she says, no. Turns around, starts dancing with someone else. No, yeah, right? No is a hard word. You ever been told a no that just like mm, sat there? Sat there, told you something about yourself? And the words are powerful. Let me put yes next to no. Not all no's are bad and not all yeses are good, but there's a really good one in my life. Yes! There's this girl, Emily was her name, and we were dating, and it was, uh, and I, it was time to ask her if she would marry me. And so I had a ring, and I was ready. And she's a mechanical engineer, so she's always, like, figuring out the world, right? And I'm more of, like, a poet, so I'm like, why figure anything out? And we come together, and together, I'm like, tonight's the night. I'm going to ask her because she has no clue. I want her to be surprised. Now, you, a lot of the, those of you in 30 and under, you have been struck by this whole, you have to like plan it and film it. It's got to be a big deal. I came from a simpler generation. It was a little easier, but I still had buddies that were doing like the gondola ride to the top of the city overlook with candles and flowers. I'm like, oh, I can't get on a gondola with her. She'll know. So I'm going to wear sweatpants and a ratty t-shirt. We're going to hang out and eat a bag of Doritos because what says love like a bag of Doritos? And then I'm going to go, hey, let's go for a walk. And we walked to the very first park we walked to where we had a relay race, which I won. And we sit down and she's noticed I've got this little like box in my pocket. So she goes, hey, we were both like newer in our faith. Hey, do you want to pray? She asked me if I want to pray. Sure. So I'm like, God, please bless this relationship and everything, you know, and help us. And then she goes, so do you want to ask me anything? And I'm like, hey, hey, wait a second. This, so I'm so stunned that, that I, I, I'm just so stunned. I'm like, uh, well, uh, you know, uh, will you marry me? And she's like, well, do you want to get down on a knee? And so I get down on a knee and I'm like, Emily, will you marry me? And she says, yes. And that was 20 years ago. And that yes has resounded. It's resounded in a sacred way in my life. Words heavy. They shape our meaning, our understanding, our existence. They're sacred. I'm going to stretch it out a little bit. Let's talk about a word discouraged. Discouraged. It's Christmas. We've got beautiful decor. The trees are lit up. Candy cane lane is fun. The music's playing. Joy to the world. Hark the herald angels. It's Christmas. And I'm not sure there's a person in this room that doesn't have a little bit of discouragement something in their lives that they go, I wish it could be as good as I pretend it is. But the unmet dreams, the troubled relationships, 
the risk and the things that are out of control in my life. This season is hard. For some people, this is the most difficult time of year. For some people sitting right next to you, this is the most difficult time. It's when they remember the most the loved ones who aren't with them anymore. It's when they remember the things they hoped for and longed for as a child that didn't come to pass. It's different than any other season, really, in that regard. The weight of disappointment it can carry in the face of such joy. I want you to hold that word disappointment for the rest of the morning because Joseph's story is a story of disappointment. It's a story of very few words, but incredible meaning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of, the, of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David... Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. When Joseph woke up, he did. doesn't say anything. He just does what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. And he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. So Joseph said exactly how many words? Zero that we have recorded. Joseph just, we've got all these words. They have so much weight and significance. They're so important to how they shape us. And yet Joseph, nothing. What we have is a simple action. To be honest, we know very little about the life of Joseph, which is dangerous for me because I love to tell stories. And I can be like, then Joseph did this and then he did that. But the reality is simply Joseph was met by Jesus in a dream. And he said, you're not going to divorce Mary because I'm in charge of this. And you're going to give this child the name Jesus. Joseph wakes up from the dream, and what does it say? He did exactly what the angel of the Lord commanded him. He went, he took Mary as his wife. He named Jesus. And then, later on, his life gets unsettled even more because he has to flee to Egypt because the life of his family and this child are in danger. That's about all we know about Joseph. Maybe he shows up later on, When Jesus is uh, about 12 at the temple, he's teaching uh, like all the lawgivers are there. I'm like, wow, this child has such wisdom. And Mary and Joseph, like good parents, are miles away. And they're like, where's our kid? And so they go back into town and they find him. I said Mary and Joseph, maybe. It just tells us his parents. So Joseph's probably there. And they're like, like any parent, they're like, Joseph, I mean, Jesus, get over here. What are you doing? You're supposed to be with us. And Jesus says, I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry, Mom. 
Those of you who know the scriptures actually know. Nope. Jesus says, I'm doing the will of my Father. Get out of my way. Have you ever had that conversation with your 12-year-old? Yeah. Yeah. So that's about what we know about Joseph. So I want to bring us into this reality for him. It's not a stretch. Joseph was a man who encountered discouragement. Joseph was a man who was discouraged. He had a dream. He was engaged, betrothed to be married to Mary. And betrothal in this patriarchal Jewish society is significant. It's not like dating and engagement as we encounter it today. Because you might read the story and go, why couldn't he just, what's the big deal? The big deal is once those two families had agreed upon that betrothal, it was binding. And there was no ending or separating of it. So Mary, by being pregnant, was committing adultery within her engagement, which was punishable just like committing adultery in marriage. Joseph begins his part in this story by being met with unmet dreams. His fiance, his future, the family he's going to have. Do you have unmet dreams? Do you have things you long for? Things you thought were promised to you? Things you've prepared your life for and you've worked hard to put in place? Things that you are ready and are waiting to encounter and yet they're unmet. And the discouragement, you know, discouragement isn't put on us by others often. Words are, but actions are, but discouragement wells up from within us. It dwells from within and it just rises up and it's there and it becomes part of life like breathing, like your heart beating, discouragement. Joseph knows us, everybody. He's been discouraged. His life is turned upside down. He's confronted with embarrassment. The one thing a man wants in this society that Joseph's in is to have a family and name his children. And Joseph isn't going to have either of those because his fiance came to him and said, Joseph, I'm pregnant, but it's okay because God did it. And Joseph goes, she's crazy. I'm going to quietly divorce her. Uh, we can talk a little bit about how the, De- the law in Deuteronomy uh, would say that, that a, a woman who commits adultery like Mary had in this situation or Joseph thought should be stoned and put to death. That most likely wasn't at play here. At this time and space, that was not practiced. So Joseph wasn't contemplating, should we kill Mary in this antiquated patriarchal way? Joseph was simply wrestling with, she's not who I thought she was. She has broke this binding arrangement that we had. And what are my choices? And he settles on, I'll divorce her quietly because he has unmet dreams. Relationship trouble? Do you have any of that? Joseph's got plenty of it. The one thing in his life that's guaranteed just turned out to be fake. Mary's not who he thought she was. I've been in the church for just about 20 years, and every Christmas um, I have conversations with people who have parents, siblings, children that they will not speak to. It's kind of common. I look out in this room right now, and I know that there are people who are carrying into this season this, this brokenness of, I will not give that person a chance to hurt me again. I'm not going to put myself in a situation to be a doormat one more time for my family. I'm not going to let my kids be spoken to that way. Like, and so we decide, right? We have relationship trouble. Do you have that? You familiar with that? And maybe it's not that extreme. It's just every day. Every day, what you encounter in your life. 
Joseph has unmet dreams, relationship trouble, and then these scary circumstances. I mean, like, he gets word, hey, Herod wants to kill your baby, and so he has to take off to Egypt, travel to an unknown land. It gets crazy. That's Joseph, folks. We don't know much else about him. He's just a guy whose life got turned upside down. He had no way out, and he's a good guy, so he decides to try to make it turn out the best way possible. He's going to quietly divorce Mary. Well, let's jump back into that text. Verse 20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Well, it literally means like the spirit uh, rested and abided in that space and a miracle happened. A lot of mythologies include stories of gods uh, uh, desiring and pursuing women. And that's not the story, the text, the language. It just doesn't communicate that. It's just like miracle happening. Biology being overcome because God desires it. That happens again. It's called the resurrection. He's familiar with realigning what we think is possible and impossible. And so... The text says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. No words are spoken. And what does Joseph do? When Joseph woke up, verse 24, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. I want to talk a little bit about this application of he did. Um, there's not, I mean, we could wrestle into Joseph's life, but if we can just all agree disappointment, it sits, it's real, it's present. It is part of our faith and our life. We live in this space where things are just not what we long for them to be. So what do we do? How do we walk through that? What's the whole point of this Christmas story? This child who, this woman who has a conception through this miraculous event, this child who's brought into the world and his name is Jesus and he will save the people from their sins. There's a few things I would propose that Joseph brings us. If you, a great book is by Tim Keller about Christmas and he talks about these three things. One of the things he says is, you have to consider the cost of the gift. Joseph has to consider the cost of this gift. Joseph, this child that your fiancé has, God has done this. That doesn't make the cost any less. It's not like Joseph can be hanging out with the guys around the campfire and they're like, so Mary, tell us about that. Don't worry, guys. Holy Spirit did it. Right? That's a, where does that conversation go? Right? Or he can't sit around and go, you know, I'd rather not talk about it. Like all signs will point to Mary got pregnant from someone else. And yet Joseph stays with her? What kind of man is he? What kind of guy does that? The law allows him to just be done with her. Start over, man. Build your own family. Let that kid and that woman suffer the consequences of their actions. Joseph has to consider the cost of the gift. If he wakes up from this dream and he does everything the Lord commands, he loses. He loses, folks. He loses his identity. He loses his standing. He loses his stature. He's that guy. That guy who stayed with that woman. And yet he does exactly as the angel of the Lord commanded. And then he has to come to terms. And this is where I think a lot of us live. 
He has to come to terms with he's not, that he's not in control of this situation. He's not the manager of what God's doing. God's like, Joseph, i got a plan. I want to bring about salvation to the world. So would you have a child? No, he's like, Joseph, this is all me. So you know, like how many of you named a child once? All right, I've named four kids, okay? In naming these four kids, the process was never magical. We had a book, it was like a thousand baby names. Uh, that's when you're over 40, that's what you had. And you flipped through it when you, wait, sorry, not when you're over 40, when you had kids in, in like the 2000s, that's what you had. Thousand baby names. Now you can go like, you know, top 10 names to avoid, you know, names that rhyme, rhyme with Wendy. And you can, I don't know if there are any, but, you know, so you can go through and you can just pick out names. Naming is kind of fun for us, but it's not like a huge, significant, life-altering event. My son's name is Gabriel. My firstborn, I spelled his name Gabriel on his birth certificate, right? Fortunately, they corrected that. The nurse came back and asked my wife, do you want your boy to be named Gabriel? And um, she said, no, let's take a second L and an E out of there. Um, but uh, I'm not a great speller. So we name... We name our children, but it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's an enjoyment. For Joseph, naming his children was his right. It was his right to say, my son is going to be named, and everybody, when they, when they meet this child, they'll say, oh, that's Joseph's son. And these names meant something. Really good builder with his hands. That's Joseph's son. Runs faster than the wind. That's Joseph's son. Jumps super high. That's Joseph's son. Has a heart for God. Like there's, these names meant something. God comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, not only do you take this child as your own, I am telling you what this child's name is. You are not in control. You're not in control. Sorry, let me say that clearer. You are not in control. That's the story of Joseph in the Christmas story. A man who has to consider the cost of the gift, and then he has to come to terms. And here's the thing with terms. A lot of people, uh, myself included years ago, as we wrestle with faith, and we think of ourselves as like physical, we get. Physical is understandable. We can wrap our hands around it. We can touch it. We can move it. It falls apart. We feel it. Uh, intellectual, the mental, we get. We can engage and talk and read and dialogue and think. Um, the spirit, it is present with those others and how we are formed and created by the maker. The spirit is there, but the problem with the spirit is we don't get to access it without reflection. You don't just get to wake up with the Spirit and be like, today I'm going to walk and engage with my Creator in the Spirit. It causes, it forces a pause where we reflect. And, and that's not really um, in high demand in how we live our lives right now. Reflection is not easy to do. It's not easy to get to. And yet if we pause and reflect and think about this gift and the cost of it, and then go, we're not in control we end up drawing, coming to this conclusion that it's a little harder than we might have thought. Yes, we want to say, like, God is love and he's for you and he pursues you. But there's this story where included that it is, and you don't get to choose the terms. I love my wife. I didn't get to get down. Emily, will you marry me? Except on Saturdays and Sundays and Wednesday nights. And sometimes I'm going to want to break in our marriage. And, and like lay out all of these conditions. That's a really bad prenup. And then she says, yes, I'll marry you, except on weekends. And no, when you come to that, you say, will, will you marry me? And her response is yes, and we've just made total commitment at that moment. That's what Joseph's called to do. 
make total commitment. He wakes up and he did everything the angel of the Lord commanded him. A lot of us are trying, we're wrestling with trying to encounter the spirit to experience the life of Christ. And what happens is we're doing it on our terms. We're coming to the Lord and we're saying, God, I want to, I want to experience you. I want to find you in my vocation. I want to experience you in my family. And then we don't say it, but it's implied, but this is off limits. This is off limits. I'll do this however I want to do this. I will think the way I want to think. I will engage the world the way I want to engage it. And I will refuse to actually meet you at this space where you tell me exactly what the name of this child's going to be. You're not in control. For some of you, you're like, yes, I know I'm not in control. I've experienced that. But may we experience it again. And for others of you, you've wrestled with the Lord and you're like, I just can't get over certain things. Stay in that wrestle, but you will not get over those certain things until you release your control over your life, until you release your conditions of how you want to approach God. Because the third thing we find in the story of Joseph is simply, what's Jesus' name? His name will be Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. The third thing, it's been on the screen for a while, admit you are a sinner. Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, it's not like, how often do you use the word sinner? I mean, I hope you don't actually use it a lot because that probably means you're talking about people. Um, but how, you don't see it a lot. It's not like the name people give. Oh, who are you with this weekend? Oh, my buddy Dan, he mountain bikes. And my buddy Tom, he's a sinner. Like, we don't, we don't use the word like that. And when we use it, do you know what we do? We, we talk about behavior. Oh, that sin, that behavior, that's too shallow. And Joseph wakes up, if this is about behavior, he wakes up from the dream and he goes, I'm divorcing Mary. Oh, this is about erasing the stain, the watermark that sits upon all of us before we behave badly. There's a lot of definitions for sin. And none of them stand alone as the only definition for how sin's described. Um, a, a, kind of a dominant definition in this era where the angel tells Joseph, you are to name this child Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Is that of like a stain that becomes like a mark that just can't be washed out. So think about like just your favorite shirt or sweater, those pants that you love. You know, you're fly when you've got them and you, you just step out and you've got like, you know, honey Dijon, just like all down it, right? Like that. And so you take it home and you wash it and you clean it and you dry it and you take it out and it looks good because you're kind of in the dark. And then you go out in the light and everyone can see like the leftover mark of the honey Dijon. And so a couple things happen. Sorry, truffle oil for those of you who can't connect with me on the honey Dijon thing. Um, so you step out and you throw a sweater over it and you're like, good. Stain's covered up. No, stain's still there. Still there. People just don't see it. They just see the sweater. Or you call up your friends and they're like, hey, uh, baking soda, hairspray, uh, salt, vinegar, baking baby powder, like do that and your stain will come out. And you do that and the stain's still there. Jesus came to save people from sin. To take the stain and wash it away. That's what Joseph is confronted with, this child. You're going to call him Jesus. 
and he's going to save people from their sin. You have to have an encounter with the cost of this gift. You have to come to terms. None of these are admission to the church. I'm talking about meeting Jesus in the story and unwrapping the gift of his life and his death. And then you have to just admit, I'm part of this. The sinners he came to save include me, include the people I love, include me. I want to end by returning to words because remember, Joseph doesn't say anything. He just has a dream and gets up and he did everything. And I hope over the next week you'll pause and you'll reflect and you'll say, can I? Can, I be, can it be said about me? I did consider the cost. I did come to terms. I did admit I was a sinner. There's, um, there's a text in John chapter 1. I want to pull that up. I want to end with this. I want to invite you to close your eyes. The reason for that is I could be wrong, but I think there's about 11 million inputs in our senses. 10 million of them are in our eyes. So most of what we encounter and experience is through visual. So I just love you to close your eyes, turn off 10 million of those, and just hear about the word. Because Joseph's son, Jesus, was the word of God. This is what the text says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not and will not ever overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.